brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechats.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. All right, Higher Side Chatters, how's it going out there? Riding the waves of the vast and choppy conspiracy from sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood. And longtime listeners know we have spent a lot of time talking about health, consciousness, magic, manifestation, multidimensional entities, mind control, black budgets, cultural manipulation, geopolitics, spirituality, power, corruption, and many other things that make up the construct of our carefully managed human terrarium, but we don't focus too often on evil by name. It's certainly in the mix of our conversations, but some might find it curious how rarely society tackles the notion of evil head-on, which didn't always seem to be true. Maybe it's social engineering, widespread neglect, or straight-up denial, but it seems like slowly over time the foresight to keep a spotlight shined on evil has slowly faded away to the point that people have forgotten how to even identify it, or if it's really even there. It's this ambiguity and even widespread apathy that seems a bit out of place in the human experience, but it's not arbitrary, because as we know, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world he didn't exist. Well, here to reintroduce us is my friend and yours, the great Alex Sakaris, as he's written a new book entitled Why Evil Matters, How Science and Religion Fumbled the Big One. Many of you know Alex from the Skeptico podcast where he focuses on the exploration of consciousness and regularly points out that if a scientific discipline and its gaggle of academics refuse to fold in the existence of consciousness into their model, how valuable is their work? Some would say it's half-baked at least, and now the same can be said about the ignorance of evil in a lot of these same areas. I don't think this is going to be one for the faint of heart, but let's do the damn thing. One of my favorite confrontational podcasters, the SoCal King of Consciousness Convos, the man himself, bend the knee, people. Alex, my man, great to have you back. Oh, Greg, the Show Me State's favorite conspiratorial son. Ah, I like it. So great to be back in your company, man. And, And those introductions, I'm like... Hell yes, he's right, he's right. And he's like, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. I think you said it better than I did. Uh, Too kind, but it is a real pleasure, man. You've been a great friend and colleague, and we got a lot to catch up on. I'm excited to see where this goes, but 
Let's kick it off with the obvious first question as to what this new book is about, why this topic, what's the elevator pitch for why evil matters? I mean, it's sincerely when I say I really couldn't have done it better than you did because you captured the subtlety of it that I got to say 80% of people miss right at the beginning. They come right out of the gate and they go, is this evil? Well, what about this? And you're not counting. And it's like, this isn't a book about what is evil or what, you know, is this more evil than something else? Is it more evil to drone strike a wedding party in Yemen versus the evil pandemic? It's a question of, you know, why looking through that lens might be a necessary first step. And just as you perfectly said, why aren't we doing that? You know, because as you alluded to, we used to be kind of more tuned into asking the question, the initial question of, you know, should we be investigating evil? Yeah, it is an absolutely great topic to tackle. And I agree. It just seems like, especially in the last year, the conversations I've been trying to have with people are, look, I'm convinced the guest is usually convinced the audience is convinced but we need to increase our numbers in terms of people who think there might be something fishy going on here. And when you reverse engineer that all the way down to the beginning, it's like the issue is that many of our friends and family don't think that people in positions of power could have anything but good intentions. And so they aren't even putting evil or nefariousness on the radar. And if you can't do that, you'll never wake up to what's really going on out there. That is perfectly put. And I don't think I realized that when I started this project down the evil path, but it really did become clear in the last year with the pandemic because it's very, very subtle what you're saying. And it's this divide between science who we just kind of go along with the idea that, well, they don't have any stake in the evil game to begin with because they don't believe it could possibly exist. So we'll just let them march along on their own. Well, hold up now. Wait a minute. <laughs> if evil does exist, if evil is a part of this overall fabric, especially in this extended fabric of consciousness that we know exists out there, then why would we give them a pass? Why would we just a priori assume that Science doesn't have any stake in that. It doesn't, we shouldn't even hold them accountable for analyzing or evaluating whether any of that is at play, let alone as you're going next level and saying, could their motives possibly be something that we would characterize as nefarious, evil, not so good? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a question at least worth asking. A lot of the guests I've interviewed, they've been talking about dumbing us down for years. And part of that is making us ignorant of all sorts of things and having this big blind spot for evil. And whether you go to the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, Bill Gates, these people put a lot of money into managing their PR and their reputation. And I don't know that truly altruistic people need to even do that. So that's just another red flag. But it is a great book that weaves through your own thoughts as well as the insights of many of your guests. It's something that I've been trying to work on myself, actually. So to read it, it's great to see something in that kind of format. And 
it really explores some interesting ideas. But I guess when it comes to the guests that made it into the book, what do you think surprised you most about their reactions or responses when you'd bring up the notion of evil in these conversations? Well, you know, it kind of came about almost the other way, Greg, where I kept bumping into it and then I kind of caught on what was going on. You know, I start out in the book with an interview that I actually did a couple of years ago, and it isn't exactly where I was going, but was with an FBI guy, a guy who was an undercover FBI agent for like 20 years. And he was telling me his story about NAMBLA, <laughs> NAMBLA from South Park, you know, right? because he was on the NAMBLA case. And the first thing he said is, you know, you think undercover is what everybody in the FBI does. And he goes, actually, it's not like that because only a small group of people can really do the whole thing of totally getting in character and totally winning the confidence of these people. He said, so when somebody came in and said, hey, we have a new case and it's really weird, there were only a few people to choose from and I was one of the people who got chosen. So this is a guy who's done drug smuggling, gangs, all sorts of crazy things in his career. And next up for him is he's meeting with these group of really creepy, mostly middle-aged men who are interested in having sex with little boys, little girls sometimes, but a lot of little boys. And the story he tells is going to one of their field trips to Times Square, New York City, back when Times Square was really Times Square before everything happened. But they used to have a big Toys R Us there, and there was a big carousel wheel inside the store. It was like 20 feet, 30 feet high. And he was standing there mulling around with all these men, these NAMBLA guys. And NAMBLA, for people who don't know, you know, we just made that passing reference to South Park, is the North American Man-Boy Love Association. So they kind of created this political front for pedophiles to make it sound like, oh, we're trying to advance this politically. And he says, you know, that at no time were these people at all interested in any political agenda. They just wanted to get together and rape, and not only rape, but they wanted to hurt these little kids. And back to Times Square, he said he was standing there in the store, and these men are looking over the rail, and they're looking at the parents, but they're looking at these kids, and they're talking about what they want to do to these kids. And it's not just about sex. It's about violence and how they want to hurt him. And he says, Alex, if I wasn't undercover, I would have thrown those guys. I would have tossed them over that 20-foot rail and enjoyed watching their head smash on the ground. So two things. One, I think a lot of us can relate to that feeling that we get when we feel like that's going to be inflicted on somebody, especially somebody as helpless as a six- or seven-year-old child. But what it also brought into focus for me, and this is what I asked them about, I asked them about the evil question because it almost like snaps us out of that, I don't know, just kind of lull that you were talking about at the beginning of the show where you go, no, that's freaking evil. That is freaking evil there. Don't tell me about 
you know, sexual preference or that is evil. What they wanted to do was evil. And then as soon as you grab hold of yourself, you go, okay, if I know in my gut that that's evil, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means evil isn't just this evil is a social construct. Evil is whatever anyone says it is. It's like, no, man, no, there's something else to it. And that story to me kind of helps kind of jump me into that in a way, kind of shake me out of the fog. What do you think? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think that we are at a point, and this comes up in the book as well, that we're trying to justify everything with science. Like you say about sexual preference or it's a mental condition. It's like, well, sometimes it is just evil. And this is kind of how the devil slips in, you know, just so to speak. Because if you're in denial, you don't really recognize what's going on. And it's this justification, which is always, it is through science, which is kind of the weird thing about it. Like we're looking for a scientific explanation because we have removed spirituality from the world at large. So it's got to have some explanation and we just can't fathom it. Instead of just pinning evil for evil, we try to do all these mental gymnastics to find a scientific explanation that then I don't know what they want to do at that point. Just accept it, like foster it. It just seems strange. But we used to have our guard up a lot more against evil and we used to be more vigilant. And I think it's probably time to return to that. Well, you said a couple of things there that I think are really interesting that I want to return to is the last thing you said about having our guard up. I hadn't really thought of that, but that definitely has to be in play here, right? Because when I was flip-flopping back and forth between why is science so whack about this? Why can't they figure out at least the most obvious of it? And maybe we'll talk about that in a minute with the guy from Ohio State University who isn't sure about whether the evil he's encountered is really evil. But, you know, back to kind of flipping back and forth about that, you go, well, what could be the agenda? And I think one of the agenda items is exactly as you just put it, in that it kind of lets your guard down. Because if evil is merely a social construct, merely something that, well, we all agree on, and the drone strikes in Yemen, hey, you know, it's kind of gray, because maybe those Yemenese guys were really terrorists, and maybe they were going to kill thousands. So, yeah, I guess everything is kind of gray. And it really takes, like we're just talking about, you have to kind of then realize the implications that scientifically, which is the connection you made, which I think is so great. And what I'm all about is to say, what are the philosophical and scientific implications of saying that evil is merely a social construct? What it gets back to is saying, well, really, Nothing in your life really has any meaning. There really is no good or bad on any kind of scale. And you know what? Like, Greg, you've been down this path so long, and I've heard you so many times on the show. You know, you're way past the materialistic science. But I would throw that out as, hey, that is a legitimate question, right? But the problem is the question has been answered and it's not true. You know, <laughs> scientific materialism fails. Consciousness is real. 
extended consciousness is real. So we have to bring back on the table this whole thing of, is there a moral imperative? Could there be a right and wrong? Could there really be an evil? And that's really, without going too far, just to get to that point would be a huge step forward because we're not there. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. It does heavily relate to the question of, is there meaning in the universe? And I know that you've had your frustrations with Grant Cameron's perspective as well as I have, which is that, well, it's all consciousness, man. It's just all happening in the spectrum. And it's like, okay, maybe at a higher level, ultimately that's true, but it's really not helpful for navigating reality. It's not helpful for understanding the motives of these interactions with non-human intelligences. It just doesn't really tell us anything. So it is just a frustration with some people just in ufology as an example that We're trying to get a handle on, should we be interacting with some of this stuff we're interacting with? And they just keep bringing it back to it's all consciousness. And if you can recognize evil, you realize, well, you can't ration with it. You're not going to reason with it. (laughs) It just, just, you should ostracize it from yourself and the people you care about. And there should be more vigilance about protection. But I didn't want to switch gears on you too much. But this is also interesting because you're always having this question about consciousness with the scientific community, you're still, it's in the book and in the show that you still have to have this consciousness conversation. And they're in some cases in denial or maybe even outward rebellion against the idea of consciousness being real. And it does make you wonder about the value of their academic work when they won't fold in consciousness at all. Well, let's apply that to what's gone on in the last year and a half, because The way you approach this stuff has been really helpful for me because I apply that same sort of thinking to medical science and that most of these virologists or CDC medical experts, I think they're largely in the materialist paradigm too. And so I ask, well, if you still don't understand or acknowledge consciousness, if you're not factoring that in to what it is to be human, even if you have good intentions, how can I really trust your vaccine? You don't even understand the human ecosystem really. Well, that's a big, big, big point. It's a great point. And you've kind of brought the whole world into one little focal point, which I think is awesome. And that is, yeah, I would almost return it back to the question of evil, because that's where I thought you were you were going. But I think we can get to the same place, because what I've developed over the course of doing this, and I certainly didn't see this at the beginning, but kind of as you were alluding to, the whole evil thing now is almost like a litmus test. Like you were talking about Grant Cameron, who I have a lot of respect for. Mm -hmm. But in general, people in the UFO community, when they can't wrap their heads around the possibility that these interactions with ET, with non-human intelligence, might be associated with something that we would identify as evil, If you can't wrap your head around that, if you can't be willing to throw that on the table and say, wow, you know, there's kind of, that's a reasonable read of someone who's been raped publicly by some entity and has the physical evidence to prove it. Yeah, I guess I do have to consider that there might be an evil there. So in the same way that that becomes a litmus test and a similar litmus test for the academic 
who says, well, of course, you know, I've been around the block. I've seen a lot of things. I don't characterize anything as quote unquote evil because I've just seen so many different things. Again, alarm bell goes off in my head. But to return it to the pandemic thing, 1000% agree with you that what we saw in the last year to me is the I don't want to say the end game because we have no idea where the end game is going. But it is definitely a consequence of the one dumbing down and also the manipulation of science and the total manipulation of science that does relate back to exactly what you said. If you are going to peddle the biological robot meaningless universe meme, and if you're allowed to get away with that, then it makes it easier to get away with almost anything and to then do all sorts of scientific mandates. And then when people complain, they say, quit your damn clamoring about scientific studies and analysis. And that's, I have a quote where the guy actually says that it was about mask science. Cause we did a, a show about how science has repeatedly, when you do the careful, randomized, controlled clinical trials, all this nonsense about masks falls away. There's no significant difference in clinical trials. Of course, in the laboratory, you can show that a mask stops stuff from coming out of your face. We knew that (laughs) when we were right when you went to kindergarten, your mom said, Greg, cover your face when you cup. We knew that. But what they do is then they try and turn that into science when the real science says, and I'm getting a little bit off target, but it comes back here. The real science, as much as they've tested it over and over again, and they don't know exactly why masks don't work in terms of reducing the spread of the disease in the population, whatever disease that is, you know, because most of that science was done not just in the last year. It was done five, ten years ago, and they kept getting the same result. Gee, it doesn't lead to a reduction in the spreading. But my real point on all that was, if you go look at the shows that I did and the research, it's like, here's a guy, here's an official muckety-muck saying those exact words. Stop clamoring about studies. He's telling us, the public, stop worrying about the science. We'll tell you when to wear a mask, and damn it, we'll tell you when you can stop wearing your freaking (laughs) mask. That is the end game that I think you're pointing to. If I can fool you about consciousness, if I can fool you about meaninglessness, if I can convince you that the love you feel for your partner, for your parents, for your kids, that that doesn't really exist, that it's just a trick of the mind, well, then I'm well on my way to convincing you, convincing you of any kind of bullshit scientific study I put in front of you. Hmm. Yes, man. That is so well said. And that is why it is so important. Ignoring evil and ignoring consciousness or extracting them from the, you know, the public mindset, they both have similar effects. And yeah, it's like science wants to tell you that love you feel is just chemicals. Just chemicals doesn't mean anything. And they'd say the same about psychedelics. You know, it's just chemicals in your brain. It's you're poisoning yourself. And so you have these odd effects. And it's like, no, experience it. And what it really is, is a peek behind the veil. Yes. And you could say the same about love too. Love is something that shows you there's meaning in the universe. And 
Science is this huge field that's ripped both of those things away from the public consciousness, but it also operates on this, the ends justify the means kind of thing. I mean, think about all the, even just animal torture that goes on in the name of science that we turned a complete blind eye to because, well, ultimately it's for the greater good. Well, they've also tested a lot of stuff on mental patients, people in prison, kids in orphanages, kids in the third world. I mean, Pfizer just lost a giant lawsuit for damaging African boys with a vaccine. They got meningitis and they lost this lawsuit. And my mind goes to, wow, they must have uh, really screwed up. The case must have been pretty clear because little boys in a village in Africa don't really have a lot of legal resources and Pfizer does. So for (laughs) Pfizer to still not be able to win that fight, (laughs) I mean, that's interesting. And should they be injecting people with something now? Like, I think the whole history of science and medical science in particular, it's full of evil, but we don't call it that because, well, they're trying to improve the world. And it's like, well, show me the fruits of that. Show me that. Because if you're going to say this campaign is trying to make the world better, I just don't see it. Yeah. Two things. Let me jump in there with two things. One is on the meaning thing. And it took me a long time to even be able to voice this because they are so effective with their messaging that for all of us, even people like you and I, who feel like we're kind of pushing against it and we're leery and we're on guard, we still let our guard down. When they say that the universe is meaningless or that like we're saying, love is really just the chemical, whatever. It is not just wrong. It is completely the opposite. Mm -hmm. Like when you go spiritual, when you go to the great mystics and the great thinkers, what they say is the opposite, right? They say everything is meaningful. The plant that you're looking at outside your window is conscious. It's meaningful. The sun is meaningful. There's meaning everywhere in the universe. Everything has meaning, right? So it's funny how they've completely switched it. So usually when we have that dialogue, we're like, well, I think there might be a little bit of meaning. I mean, I don't know if, you know, aren't dolphins, you know, smart? Of course, you know, this animal isn't smart. Of course, you know, the ant that's crawling on your desk isn't conscious. How do you know that? Given everything we know, why wouldn't we assume the opposite, Mm -hmm. that everything is conscious, everything in some way that we don't understand, everything is conscious. Isn't that what the physics would suggest when they do the double slit experiment and they pop that little photon beam and the photon beam either comes through as a slit or a wave? It seems that was the conclusion of the world's greatest thinkers and scientists. And even Einstein had to kneel down and say, yeah, it looks like Niels Bohr is right. Consciousness is everywhere was the conclusion. Well, wouldn't that switch the paradigm where we would then start with the basis that everything is meaningful and then try and prove it the other way? And, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as the other point that you were making about evil, and I think this is like, again, I don't think I understood this at the beginning. When we talk about evil... What we're really talking about is asking the question, is there this extended consciousness realm where there's 
kind of some shady bad things going on. <laughs> and we all understand that like you and I love San Diego. I love San Diego. You left Missouri. I left Illinois. You leave those kind of places. You come to San Diego. You got the beach. You got the mountains. This is an <laughs> awesome place. Amen. But you go the wrong turn on the way out of your house and you can find some stuff that's very, very shady. And it's horrible what humanity does to each other, what people do to themselves, you know, and abuse and addiction and all those things. And you get in that and we've all been there, most of us, you get that grimy sense. You get that sense that there's something wrong here. There's something out of kilter. And we even have the sense a lot of times that it's not exactly on this physical plane. Yes. And that's the question that I think we have to be open to. Is the Pfizer attorney who prosecuted that case, defended that case, whatever you pushed that case in <laughs> Africa, when he actually went through those documents and saw what they did to those innocent kids, unsuspecting, no money, and he said, well, hell, you know what? I know this ain't right, but I got to make that mortgage payment. And, you know, Susie wants a new Corvette and all. Well, hell, just go for it. <laughs> Was that just somebody making a decision, which it could be? Or is there something, you keep alluding to it, you know, is there something on another dimensional level that's right in there saying, hey, this is my chance. Now, this is my time to shine. Yes. Yes. And it's not going to label itself as evil either. But I do think there are forces and they exist in the non-physical and they impart themselves on the physical by acting through some sort of vessel. And that vessel is obviously a, a person usually. And I think oftentimes people of power. I've interviewed people who look at the world of magic and spirits and some of them conclude that it seems like spirits are re really attracted to power and they're intelligent. They can tell where power is and where it isn't. And they kind of congregate around it because I think what they really want to do is exact influence. And so they're going to people who can do that. And, you know, I just saw before we started a little video of, you know, Elon Musk's Neuralink and it's implanted in the brain of a monkey and this monkey's playing Pong on a screen with just its mind. And, a lot of people love Elon Musk. He's a cool guy and they get into the whole razzle dazzle and allure of a billionaire scientist who smokes weed on the Joe Rogan podcast and or not a scientist, but, you know, a billionaire philanthropist, I guess, if you even want to call him that. But it's kind of messed up because if you didn't have all that razzle dazzle of Elon Musk, if someone like, say, Sid from Toy Story had marched out a monkey and said, hey, I drilled into its brain and now I'm, you know, putting this uh, computer in it. We would look at it like, oh, my God, that is evil. But if you just tilt it a little bit, like if you change the perception, it doesn't seem that way. Another example is and I'm not trying to go in all these animal PETA rant examples, but I have a couple of friends that are lab techs in scientific laboratories. And there's been a couple of times where we've talked about the mice and they're like, oh, I've killed mice in the thousands, like maybe tens of thousands. And I'm just like, well, I guess they're just mice. But at the same time, what is that doing to your psyche? That's kind of fucked up. <laughs> like to say you've just ended tens of thousands of lives. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like science has baked into it this uh, this cost 
that like for us to figure it all out, uh, you're going to have to break a few eggs to make the omelet, as they say, you know? You know, that that's such an excellent point. And what I can especially relate to, identify with what you're saying is the questioning part of it, because that's really where I'm at. I don't know. I don't know. I can look at it, you know, both ways. We often talk about this empire as if it's something that is not within us or we are within it. You know, we are co-creators, not only of our reality, but of this machine that we've created that has all these advancements. And sometimes, you know, if the whole thing was laid out to you, you might say, okay, I guess go ahead and kill those mice. I guess that is for the greater good. And then I think there's other times it really is a gray area. There's other times where you say, you know, I really think that lipstick can be tested just as effectively on, (laughs) I don't know, a window or something. So, but the questioning, the saying, you know, if we're able to now at least start setting out some parameters that there is really this realm, perhaps, and this realm doesn't always have the best intentions for us, for humanity, for our soul. If we're able to at least start that dialogue, maybe we could nudge a little bit closer to having more reasonable answers to those questions that we could at least feel good about and say, I don't know if we made the best decision, but I feel like we at least factored in more of the variables. Yes, yes, I agree. And the theme of social engineering comes up a little bit in the book. It weaves throughout in a lot of different ways. The question of how have we been conditioned? And this might be a weird one to bring up, but I find that when I try to have these types of conversations with those same industry friends that are convinced there's no evil in medical science, I bring up eugenics and how it pretty much always advanced through something under the umbrella of science. And they say, well, eugenics is gone. It died out with the Nazis. Right, right. Obviously, they don't know a lot about Project Paperclip, but the evidence they have cited to me for their confidence that eugenics is gone is things like, well, the CEO of Pfizer is a black woman now, or the head of the CDC is an Indian man. I don't really know who's who. But I was just surprised to see it reduced to that kind of thinking, that the emphasis liberals have been conditioned to put on identity politics and race lately comes full circle into, well, these people can all be trusted now because they're people of color. Thorny stuff, but it is just strange logic that this is a type of thinking that was clearly engineered in liberal politics. And if evil creeps in from something in the extended consciousness realm, like you were saying, then who the CEO of Moderna is at a given time probably matters even less. But it's not always going to be obvious who the bad guys are. They don't wear a badge. They don't even think they're bad, usually. It's complex. And even though, to some of us, it's hidden in plain sight, to a lot of other people, the majority, it's still just very much hidden. Well, you know, I'd almost jump that two steps forward because I think the social engineering part of it is really difficult. Like you said at the beginning, it's really hard for a lot of people to wrap their head around that because it is paradigm shifting in a fundamental way when someone confronts you with the fact that you've already lived through social engineering and then points out examples like I've been driving the Gloria Steinem example to death and people get tired of hearing it. But, you know, go YouTube Listen to Gloria Steinem in her own words say, yeah, I was working for the CIA. 
and then go just one step further and find out that, no, man, she wasn't recruited by the CIA when she was in the women's movement. She was in the freaking CIA <laughs> and they gave her an assignment to go co-opt the women's movement. And they say, okay, well, whoa, geez, you know, and you wrap your head around that and you go, okay, but isn't it good that we had changes and there's more freedom for women and wasn't it really screwed up? And shit, you think back, women didn't have the vote until 1920. You're like, how crazy is that, you know? Mm -hmm. But then you get your wits about you and you go, but wait a minute, why is the CIA even interested in that? You know, <laughs> take away the fact that they did it. Why are they interested in it? Well, maybe it's because this social engineering thing is always in play. They see that as their job. And when I say they, I'm not talking about the CIA only. I'm talking about there is, we all feel it. You and I talk about it as if it's just ordinary stuff, although 90% of the other people don't. And that's that there is a they that thinks they are responsible for controlling everything. And they do stuff like this on a regular basis because, man, they just think it's their job. But if I could, I want to connect that with the evil thing in a way that has really just come into focus for me recently. And that's this idea that we all live rich spiritual lives. We do. We're enmeshed in this larger consciousness that we're talking about. And some of it isn't so great, like we're talking about. But some of it seems to be pretty amazing. It seems to give us, you know, love and compassion and humility when we tune into it. And we're always in that soup of choosing and letting some in and letting some out. And we're all doing it. And that woman who got, you know, the fake promotion and all the free stock at Moderna that those criminals gave her, you know what? However good or however bad she is, she still wakes up at two o'clock in the morning with the same kind of spiritual questions that we all have. You know, what is my soul? You know, what will happen when I die? You know, how can I be a better parent, daughter, whatever? I mean, we're all in that. And I think that when we talk about anyone as if they're not part of that spiritual soup of good and evil in this broader way that we're talking about it, I think we risk becoming just as bad as they are, if you know what I mean. Mm. Yes. Well said. Well said. And to get back to your book a little bit, I liked the excerpts from your interview with Riz Verk, a name I was not familiar with, but you talked to him a lot about AI, a subject that you know well as you were uh, studying AI before you got out of college, I believe at, at a PhD level. And obviously a lot of things have changed since then in the realm of AI, but talk to us about how these themes of AI and evil actually relate to each other. Well, I think Riz Verk is really an amazing guy and I really enjoy talking to him. There's been a couple other guys where I've kind of gone geeky a little bit because yeah, I was in the PhD program at the University of Arizona I really was wanting to do this AI thing. And then I left and I started a little AI company back when expert systems were kind of the rage, you know, and expert systems was this idea. Like one of my clients was DuPont, you know, you want to go total, uh, <laughs> total dark. Uh -oh. But in DuPont, they had hundreds and hundreds of these 
chemies, chemical engineers, some of the best in the world, and they were sitting around going, wow, what if that guy leaves? What if that guy gets hit by a bus tomorrow? Don't we want to have some way of codifying the genius that he's amassed? And they thought that expert systems would be a way to do it. And expert systems would be a way that you could kind of ask a series of questions and come up with the answer. So if you're trying to do some kind of complicated process to get plastic to do some weird things, this guy might go through and ask this question after that question. If you answered it this way, then he'd ask this question. So that was the idea. It didn't really work quite as well as they had hoped, but it was the idea and it was awesome for me. I was excited about it and I got to do it for a number of years and and that was the thing. So when I talked to Riz Verk, who is like, oh, about 10 levels, way moonshot past Alex and, you know, what, what I knew, this guy is a super genius. You talk to him, MIT Game Lab founder, then an entrepreneur who did some amazing games, made a ton of money, came back and ran the game lab at MIT, which is like they have an AI lab there too. I mean, MIT is MIT. So this guy, I love that he has a foot in both worlds. He definitely has a foot in the tech world, but he definitely also has a foot in the entrepreneurial, real world, make kind of stuff happen. But he'll tell you straight up, and I think this is lost on a lot of people, that AI is totally real. I mean, anyone who thinks that that isn't, I mean, it's not like going to happen. It's like, hello, it is happening. Yeah. You know, if you like to trade stock or even buy stock, you are competing with an AI robot all <laughs> the time. And we all get it from Google search, right? I mean, they couldn't possibly do all the manipulation they do that we see with Google search. I mean, that is being controlled by an AI intelligence. So the real question, Mark, that you have, and I've listened to some amazing interviews where you're kind of taking it to that next level of, okay, what happens? So we got to go two ways. Either you go kind of the Luddite way and you kind of say, well, I don't believe AI is happening. You know, they told me we'd have flying cars by now and I don't see any cars flying around. Ha ha ha. Do you? Ha ha ha. So mm -hmm. you can kind of go that route or you can kind of go the other extremist route and say, I bow down to you. I <laughs> overlord, you will control everything. And I don't think either one of those are very productive. What I think we need to do is again, kind of apply the same kind of thinking we've been talking about in terms of the reality of consciousness, the reality of the extended realm, the attempt that we've seemed to have to want to engineer that because that seems to be at play. And when we want to talk about some of the dark stuff and maybe we'll talk about MK Ultra, maybe we'll talk about satanic ritual abuse, because when you do, you're going to find that what they were trying to do was weaponize extended consciousness in very kind of a way that a computer programmer would be comfortable with in a way. So is there that engineering part of this extended realm? And that's the kind of conversation I think we need to move into 
if we're really going to get serious about understanding what this AI might mean. But I'm super interested, and I kind of mean this more sincerely, what your opinion is on that, because I've listened to some of the interviews you've done, and I think you're very much on the cutting edge of stitching some of those pieces together. So where are you currently on that? <laughs> well, you know, I try to stay pretty neutral and just ask the questions, but I have a lot of concerns about AI. And the reason I asked you that question was really just to lead into this more extreme aspect of it. And in your book, you do include some talk about aliens and spirits too. And that is one of the exciting ideas that's been coming up around here is what if what we're being told is AI is actually a channeled being living in the electromagnetic spectrum. If a piece of cardboard from Parker Brothers can be used as a mode of contact with a spirit, maybe some of these computer systems are more like digital Ouija boards for beings outside of physical reality. The fact that a lot of these people deny there is an extended consciousness means like they'll never start asking that question. But I think a lot of the guests I've interviewed myself and the audience and you are open to the idea that there are intelligences without bodies out there. Maybe they can attach to a computer system and emulate a type of intelligence just being themselves. But the programmer thinks they created it, but what they might have created is a vessel that something entered into. I think these are interesting questions. You were in the PhD program of AI. Do you think it's possible? Well, you know, I'd almost bring it back to what I was alluding to before, because I think we can, again, kind of stitch those two things together and maybe together we can see where we're at. So I talked not too long ago to Whitley Strieber, the very famous contactee, I mean, like contactee number one, communion, I mean, everyone, an important, important person in history. Part of his history that a lot of people don't know about, and he hasn't talked a lot about until lately, is as a MK Ultra victim, as a very young kid. Yeah, the school. And what I thought was interesting about that, and that's what I was alluding to, so I'm just going to make it a little bit more explicit so people know. What they were doing is they were taking these kids eight or nine years old, and they were locking them in Faraday cages, which prevents electromagnetic signals from coming in or out of the box. So they're doing sciencey kind of control stuff. And then what they were doing is really evil satanic crap, you know, killing little animals right in front of the kids, terrorizing the kids. I don't know about sexual abuse because we can't report it in this case, but in other similar cases, it seems to be at play. Drugs, can't report it in this case, but in other cases, it seems to be a play. You know, Whitley reports that the only way he believes he even survived that experience is that he got very, very sick and he had to go to the hospital. And he was at the hospital for seven days and his mom came and visited him and they kind of put an end to this whole thing. But he has connected with other kids from San Antonio of that time that were in there. And he said some of them never made it out or made it out as shells of who they formerly were, you know, stayed in their house until they were 50 years old and then died a lonely death. That was the kid right across the street from him. But to finish this story, 
what they were doing was they were trying to create disassociative identity disorder. And you've run into this again and again. I've heard you report it on THC. So here is a technology, if you will, of saying, if I can create this altered personality, and if I can routinely do it, then maybe I can figure out a way to jump me into that extended realm. Mm -hmm. So I connect that with what you're saying about the Parker Brothers Ouija board, which I think is awesome. But now I think we're talking about exactly the same thing. And you can imagine some evil genius, Sidney Gottlieb type of our version of Joseph Mengele sitting there going, oh, let's see how this works. And is this more effective? And why wouldn't we attach the latest and greatest technology, the latest and greatest computer, the latest and greatest whatever? Of course, if you will go that far, if you'll lock eight-year-old kids in Faraday cages and traumatize them in order to create a dissociative identity within them, what wouldn't you do? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Obviously, there's some kind of relationship between trauma, being terrorized, extreme emotional states, and the dark forces on the other side, whether you're opening up to them or whatever. Obviously, this is the basis for Stranger Things. The whole beginning part of it is her being traumatized in a lab so that she can be the one to make contact with this demonic entity on the other side. That's a great point. And the technology folds right into that seamlessly. Of course it would. And that's where I think we got to kind of stake our claim out there, you and I do a little bit, because I think we're kind of beating around the bush. What it seems like is emerging is a scenario where all these things are in some way different, but are linked together in a way that we don't fully understand, but are kind of capitalizing on each other. So no, I don't think the whole thing reduces down to an AI silicone computer program. That isn't my read of the data. My read of the data is that folds naturally into this if you are so inclined, if you have that kind of Luciferian kind of know everything, big brain, I create better than the creator gods. If that's your energy, technology is going to fold seamlessly in. But so will a lot of other things. So will a golden dawn and OTO and chaos. A lot of things will fold into that same energy. And that doesn't mean that we can paint it all with a brush and say that it's all evil. It's all an energy out there that has potentiality. It just seems like that potentiality is pretty highly charged on the negative side. Yes, I agree. I agree. It's like we're talking about a mindset that extends beyond just MKUltra and satanic ritual abuse. It's a similar mindset, but it seems to be applied in Silicon Valley in certain ways these days. Totally. But if that is the plan, if they're still trying to weaponize extended consciousness, I think it's just a little harder to visualize or contextualize what that looks like in the AI computer space other than 
some kind of digital Ouija board. How else do you think it applies? I'm not so sure that's the right question. Because the next level question that I'm getting at is, and these are question is the key word here, because we don't know. We should be lining up the PhD students and rather than sending them off doing nonsense, counterproductive bullshit, they should be trying to grapple with these fundamental questions. But I tie it back to two things. One, we're all leading rich spiritual lives. So don't point at Elon Musk and don't hate on Elon Musk, even though Neuralink is Luciferian black magic. You know, he's still trying to figure it all out as we all are. But if that is true, if we are leading rich spiritual lives, then my read of the data is that the light, the love, is an infinite order of magnitude bigger, greater, larger than this lower level stuff. And I know that's hard to kind of, it sounds a little bit too good to be true and a little bit too Pollyanna, but mm-hmm. I feel like that's my read of the data. The, the best data I get for that is near-death experience because there's a case where, you know, scientifically, if you will, medically, we can say with confidence that the brain is now out of the equation. So why does the data look so different when we go down that path? That's a question that I ask. So my conclusion is maybe what we see in this realm of what's being manifested as evil, but isn't even fully evil. Like we said, you know, the Luciferian vibe is not all evil. It's just a force, you know, it's a force that can be applied in different ways. But anyways, I'm kind of rambling. Are you picking up the thread I'm saying? I mean, you know, maybe the light is really what it's all about. And I don't mean that in just a like what we want to hear thing. Maybe it really is more about the light than it is about the dark. Right. And it gets back to those people who say, well, it's all just experience on some level. Yes, I understand that this life, this soul school, this simulation, if you want to say it would get boring really quick if we were all just eating grapes in a hammock, being fanned by topless models. We got to save some time for that. But obviously in the grand scheme of it, it would get pretty boring if there wasn't some villain in the game. But when we die and the game ends for us, it's always love and light. It seems to be. It seems to be. Those are the reports from the near-death experiences that I've heard, and they far outweigh anything negative, although there do seem to be a couple of negative ones. But I guess maybe that experience didn't fully play itself out. And maybe they would have gotten to the light at the end of the tunnel with grandma saying it's all going to be okay. But yeah, the data does seem to be that no matter what goes on, in the end, you're going to be fine. And the universe is a warm hug waiting for you to come into it with open arms, I guess, in the end. And if that doesn't sound like enough of a solve for the evil problem, I think we're selling that short a little bit because I think our experience, everyone's experience, is that that evil is much closer to us than that kind of abstract, you know, grandma's hug kind of thing. We all get the sense that we are in the middle of the soup all the time, you know, and that whether it's the 
racing thoughts in our head or whether it's the screaming at our loved one or whether it's a lot, lot worse, which all of us have probably engaged in things that are like that. So I don't want to give a quick shuffle out the door for evil because I think most of us, it's very, very real in us and it's very real in the people around us. The psychopathic situation that we've created, because I was going to say culture, I was going to say all those things kind of fail. I mean, the fact that psychopaths run the world is inescapable, you know? So you got to deal with that. Grandma's hug is nice, but <laughs> right now we have to deal with that first part. It's true, but then it just kind of comes back to if it is all experience and once we die, we get the warm, glowing love of the universe, then doesn't it have a role? It has to play a role in the experience. And maybe not, maybe not in the way that you're talking about right there. Because my read of that data is that the most important part of the near death experience, and I really got this from a guy named Dr. Jeff Long, and I'm so excited because he's coming back on Skeptico in a couple of weeks, and there's so many next level things that I want to talk to this guy about. But he is a radiation oncologist, which puts him in the death game all the time. He's dealing with people who are dying of cancer. And he's a full-time, highly regarded radiation oncologist. But he's written these best-selling books on near-death experience, and he's collected the largest database of near-death experiences, a searchable database. You can go online and see. You can read and compare all these things we're saying, kind of alluding to about grandma's hug and stuff like that. And the biggest thing that comes out of that is that, no, you will be judged. Grandma's hug isn't what it's really about. What it's really about is judgment. But you're the one doing the judging. So when this really hit me, I mean, it took me a long time for me to really process this. But the way I relate it to is, well, shit, I know that all along. When I was a, a little kid, seven years old, running down to Taducci's grocery store down on the corner back when they had those old-fashioned you know, candy stores, and I was like, man, I don't have a nickel. I don't have a dime. I don't have a quarter. I'm going to steal this candy. I'll put it in my pocket. No one will notice. I didn't feel like Jesus was judging me right then. I just felt internally in my gut, and sometimes I took the candy, but sometimes I just felt like, man... That wasn't the right thing to do. And that's what they're saying. And they're not saying it to like manipulate you, but that's what the near-death experiences are saying. Saying when you get to the other side, you just have compassion, but at the same time, you have this sense of judgment of this is what's weighing on your soul. Everything you've done is now weighing on your soul. And that's not good or bad. It's just the freaking way that it is, you know, buck up, deal with it. Yes. And to me, that puts a different spin on everything that puts a different spin on the lab tech who killed 10,000 mice, a different spin on the attorney who said, Oh, what the hell? Pfizer's my boss. Pfizer pays my bills. I don't care if it's right or wrong. Imagine now you're in a realm where that becomes realer than real. You're feeling that fully. And it's not someone looking over your shoulder saying, you bastard son of a bitch, now you will pay. It's none of that. 
it's the ultimate compassion and love, but saying, wow, Greg, you could have done better. You are better than that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's totally true. It goes with science leading us down this path of, well, there is no God, there is no spirit, there is no consciousness. It also means there is no weighing of the heart ceremony. There yes. is no life review. Nothing you do matters. There is no judgment. And it was because of your interview or maybe interviews with Dr. Raymond Moody that I had him on recently. And I definitely wanted to focus on that life review aspect that so many people seem to report. I felt the pain that I caused every single person from their perspective. Like, that's interesting. And that is what the data kind of says. And when it comes to what is life, I really do conclude with that that soul school hypothesis. Like, if this is something and reincarnation is real, well, it seems to be a soul school. And if that's true, well, where are the tests? Well, that's what evil's role is, is the temptation. Like, can you pass that test? We finish a life, it's pass-fail, and you either go on to something else that we probably never will understand until we get there personally, or we fail and we come back and we repeat the process. But without evil being here, without some temptation, there is no test. And it's kind of like Jordan Peterson would say, you can't really be a good person until you know your capacity for evil. We all know ignorant people. We all know really simple-minded, nice guys that have ne would never hurt a fly or anything. And it's like, well, have they really wrestled with the damage they could do? Is it a choice for that person? Because it seems like that person is just so simple-minded, they're doing what they're told and following the teacher's good lessons and leaving them an apple on the desk every Friday. And it's like, they're just a good little pet. But no, a lot of other people, they deal with their shadow and they recognize, oh my God, I can really crush lives. Like I can do some real damage here. And now I'm going to choose to not do that. In fact, I'm going to keep my shadow in check. I'm going to integrate it into myself or something, but I'm going to overcome that. And if the universe is a soul school, and I think that's the best hypothesis we got, there have to be tests. And maybe that's evil's position in the game. And <laughs> I know we're a little past time here. I hope that's okay. But as we're starting to wrap this up, you know, your show has been really on the money these days and your finger is on the pulse of what's happening in cutting edge science. I'm curious if there are any new books in the scientific exploration of weird stuff areas that you think are must reads. The virus has taken up so much energy. I haven't even really dove very deep into what else is happening out there, but are there people that are, you think maybe good interviews for THC of a more sciencey flavor that I should look into? Oh, Greg, I wish you wouldn't ask that. I'm in a total different thing, man. My headspace has been in the Romans. I am deep, deep, deep into the Romans, into Christianity, into the early social engineering, and I'm just fascinated with it. The Joe Atwell stuff. Well, Joe Atwell is awesome, but he kind of he's kind of missed the first conspiracy, which now I've bounced it off of enough religious scholars and gotten that blank stare or that outright hostility that I feel very confident that the evidence is overwhelming and it's true. And the bad thing, I guess, about Skeptico sometimes, and I think it does frustrate people, is people had to endure a lot of 
interviews about evil. And it's like, there's nothing else going on in the world right now because I'm interested in evil. Well, they're kind of now having to endure a bunch of interviews about first century Roman history and Vespasian and Josephus. And But it is a story that I think we all know part of the story, but I think it's a fundamental rewrite of how the game has always been played. And maybe not always is too far, but how these freaking guys were kind of playing this thing, playing the social engineering game from the beginning. And what are the implications for where we're at? So I'm chewing through that. And then once I get that, maybe I can return to science. But right now I haven't really, <laughs> I haven't really dug into it. Well, well, fair enough. And just to leave the people with maybe a little bit of cliff notes to that, what do you find so interesting about going back to the Romans and the initial social engineering? Because I agree that it's there. I mean, we think of the Romans as a very bloodthirsty empire that definitely had an ironclad grip on their people. Uh, what's mind-blowing about this? The Christian angle is still mind-blowing. The fact that people are so mind-controlled by Christianity, when Christianity can be shown clearly to be a game, you know, an invention. This is not to say Christ consciousness, you know, that gets into a whole different realm of what we're talking about, consciousness and extended consciousness and historical Jesus, who knows. But in terms of co-opting someone's spiritual beliefs, jumping in there to be that intermediary to say, oh no, I can tell you how to experience your greater self. I think that's exactly what's in play. And I think until we unravel that, it's kind of the mirror image of the science game, right? Because in the science game, it's, hey, you're meaningless. So just let me control stuff. <laughs> it's socialism, communism. You know, it's like the other thing that has been kind of for a lot of people have kind of woken up is this idea that like, hey, I got a great idea here. I tell you what, why don't you give me all your shit, all your material wealth and all your rights and privileges, and then I'll dole those back out to you in a way that I want, right? So that's what they're saying with the pandemic, right? They're saying, yeah, you know, we'll just decide what you can do, when you can fly, what you can do. And people are like, whoa, why would I do that? Why would I give you everything so you can decide? Well, that is essentially what communism is, right? And I'm not like the oligarchy and capitalism and it's a disaster and I get all that. But that just at a surface level is kind of insane. But what's equally insane is religion is the idea that, hey, I had a genuine spiritual experience. I died. I felt, what do you call it, the weighing of my soul. I went through that, da-da-da. I'm changed. And then I come up and somebody goes, okay, now, here's how we're going to do this going forward. You're going to come to church. You're going to look through this book. And I am going to start convincing you that your genuine spiritual experience can only be interpreted in this way. And the fact that that is the dominant paradigm throughout the world Man, that's just, I still can't wrap my head around how that game has been fully played. So that's what brings me back to the original rigging of that and the original quote from Josephus, who was supposed to be the super Jew, and then says, hey, 
oh, you Jewish people, you know what? We had it wrong, really. Vespasian, he's the Messiah. Forget it. Switch your religion. And it doesn't work. They don't totally switch over. But the fact that they were playing at that level is just the beginning of unraveling how we've all been played, you know, mm -hmm. and whether you are Christian and I'm not Christian, but you're brought up in a Christian church or you're brought up in a Christian culture, it weighs on you. And I just think it's something that needs to be unraveled. Well, I agree with you. It's a great case study in influence and propaganda and this idea that just because it's popular doesn't mean it's true. These are religious gatekeepers that work for the empire to hand people a spiritual cul-de-sac. And I totally agree with you. Empires don't work so hard to spread ideas that aren't going to help them in the end. So the fact that they went around and killed anyone who wouldn't comply with this model it's very telling because it did get us to where we are today, where we don't think there's a God and we don't think there's a spirit world. First, you demonize it, you know, and you kill off anyone who has those ideas and then you just ignore it. And now people are uh, mocked for having those kind of ideas. And I think that's where we are now. And we're kind of coming out the other side of that. And I think the medical lens, the silver lining is it's going to be very helpful to bring spirituality back into the culture. That's my hope. Yeah, so you could probably do it in one or two shows. That's probably going to take me 20 or 30. Oh, man, you're just too complimentary. I am just a humble stoner college dropout, but it's always fun to talk uh, to you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your book is a lot of fun. I hope people do read it. Skeptico is as entertaining as ever, and I really look forward to following along as you parse through all this religion stuff, but remind people where they can get plugged into the stuff you're doing. Skeptico, just like you said. So I think it's pretty easy to find. It's got two K's in it. And you know what? I'm going to talk to you afterwards. I'd like to do a book giveaway for THC. I want people to read the book. That's the main thing. Yeah. No, that's not the main thing. Listen to Skeptico. But if you're interested in the book, I want to make the book available to you to read. So let's see if we can make that happen. Cool. I'm sure we can. Awesome. Well, until next time, man, take care out there. Thanks so much, Greg. Well, this was a fun one. And how could I not feel that way when Alex is so complimentary? He makes it easy. But this topic of why evil matters was a lot more interesting than I first thought it would be. And if it wasn't Alex, I might not have made time to read the book. Maybe because at first it seemed a bit obvious, but when I heard him talk about this project on Rune Soup many moons ago, when it wasn't 100% fleshed out yet, the wheels started turning, and the more I thought about it and worked through the book, the more profound it seemed to be. As he said, it's subtle, but it's still profound. I might have taken it for granted or overlooked some of the implications until I read through the book myself. And really, it's a book about MKUltra and aliens and remote viewing and extended consciousness. So it's right up our alley regardless, but this evil angle does highlight some nuances that often go unnoticed. And wouldn't you know it, people, you don't even have to take my word for it, because Alex has a special offer for THC listeners. If you made it all the way to the end here, he's going to make the ebook version free this Friday, April 30th, for the entire day. And you guys are the only ones who know about that. 
Sure, some people might get lucky and happen to check out the book that day, but this announcement is really just for you. So why not hop over to Amazon, download it, and check it out for yourself? No coupon code needed or anything. Maybe you could give them a good review or shoot them a message that you appreciate it and thought it was a good show today. But no strings attached, just free. Man, it must be nice to sell off your tech company at the height of the boom, right guys? <laughs> I'm just kidding, but he put a lot of work into this project, and writing a book is not easy, so to put it out for free for you guys makes it pretty clear that he cares a lot more about the subject matter than he does about the money, and that's a beautiful thing. So this Friday, April 30th, don't sleep on it. And as for evil itself, what can I add that hasn't been said today? He spent an extra 20 minutes with us, which I thank him for, making a dent in the short show last week already. But maybe it is all a spectrum on a higher level. Maybe we can act all enlightened and say it's all experience, man. And on your 10 millionth life, maybe you do want to see what it's like being born into poverty in a third world country. Or a psychopath with really deep pockets. But we aren't on a higher level. We're on this one. And I think the reason there is evil in this world, the reason we have villains, is not just to acquiesce and say, well, yeah, the Catholic Church rapes kids. What are you going to do? Or corporations have always been evil. Can't change it. Sure, child labor and dangerous mining operations and factories with suicide nets on the windows are part of the process that gets me my cell phone, but how am I going to get around town without Google Maps or know where the best burger is without Yelp? Yeah, government is a corrupt revolving door of bullshit. Might as well throw up our hands and learn to live with it. I don't think those are the right attitudes. If this is a learning or growth process of some kind... If there is a purpose to life besides getting high and getting laid, well, I think it's to push back against these forces. And I'm not saying storm the capital. We don't fight violence with violence. I think that's another lesson in this reality. As Gordon has said, sometimes you don't get to fight Sauron and all that. But you can push back living by higher principles, having some self-discipline, and of course, things like making art and spreading love, all the cheesy hippie stuff, I think actually has merit. I understand the notion that events on this earthly plane might just be some kind of cosmic theater. I'm down with that. But when that perspective is generally promoted, there's a subtext that I feel I pick up on sometimes that insinuates that since it's all theater, just keep letting the kids in Africa starve. Don't worry so much about the abused or fixing a problem like human trafficking. Because it's all part of the show, the range of experience. It's all just energy. It's all neutral on a higher level. And let what happens happen. Well, I don't see it that way. If this is all theater and we're just playing parts, then you've got to play the part of a person who pushes back. Maybe it's not just theater, but it's a soul school one that doesn't want you to be apathetic towards evil. Spotting evil is supposed to be a call to rise to the occasion, not to shrug your shoulders and say, see on the astral plane where we'll all laugh and hug it out. It seems to me that the most legendarily bold and admirable people had this enlightened sense that the physical world is not the main game in town, and that fearlessness allowed them to be proud of the way they stood up to evil or fought back against it. I do my part, but how many of our careers and personal lives are aligned with the greater good? Even if it's just passive, 
I mean, really, I'm just tubing down the lazy river of resistance and finding what I think is a perfect balance for myself between success and service. It works for me, and my guess is that there's a way for a lot of people to make some sort of pivot towards that. And if you're brave enough to try, well, cheers to you. It's scary sometimes. That illusion is persistent, isn't it? The lesson is not to just realize it's all a game. The lesson is actually to step up to the plate and play your part in the game. Put that on a t-shirt, kids. But I think that's one of the main important layers to Alex's inquiry into evil. This acceptance we see from a spiritual perspective with the enlightened it's all consciousness folks, the acceptance of it from the scientific perspective where it's just a chemical imbalance or a sexual preference or something that's just part of our animal instincts, those socially engineered mindsets really do get us to accept a lot, don't they? I mean, does the whole thing really need to be more complicated than evil is a force in reality and we're supposed to resist that force, or at least make an equal amount of good? Some people are too dumb to see evil as evil, and they got a lot of lessons to learn, and they'll be doing this soul cycle for a long time. But if you see it, and you can't fight it with brute force, you can counter something like Bayer Monsanto by growing your own food and encouraging your neighbors to do a food swap. That's making your whole neighborhood healthier, happier, and taking money out of the pockets of those same forces doing so much damage. Be a steward of the people in your small circle. This isn't new stuff, and you know what you need to do, and you know if you're doing enough of it, because you can feel it. As Alex said somewhere in there, you will be judged, but you're the one doing the judging. This is probably why that life review happens and you experience a range of things from another viewpoint. It just needs to be shown to you, and the morality of it should be self-evident. It feels like the universe saying you could have done better like a loving parent would, who might just be a little disappointed. I think you know if you passed or failed. This world is so full of hierarchy, it's hard to avoid that type of thinking that some supreme being is going to be the judge, jury, and executioner. But I think Alex is right in that we do the judging, and we might be in a situation where we can't lie to ourselves at the end of the game. We know how we felt. We know why we did what we did in this life. Can Elon Musk stand up straight at the life review and say, well, I just wanted to explore the mind and push on the boundaries of reality. I'm not ashamed of that. Sorry about chipping all those pigs and monkeys along the way to digitizing the human brain. I guess only he can answer that. But I thought this was a good show. Alex always flatters me a lot. It's very kind of him. But I do feel so ignorant and uneducated. Maybe it's something like the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Because you can read all the books and get the degrees, go through the system and get a master's. You're going to know a lot more about, say, virology than me. But if you don't factor in greed and corruption and corporate malfeasance and basically evil, those blind spots almost make your whole body of knowledge moot. It's very much the same as what Alex always says about consciousness, I say about conspiracy. Look, you're missing this giant piece that actually affects everything. To pretend it's not there is to miss the boat entirely. Structural engineers can do all the mental gymnastics and physics calculations they need to do to convince themselves that two planes took down the Twin Towers. Do they know more about structural engineering and physics than I do? Of course. 
But what's it all worth if they can't wrestle with the concept of a false flag and a coordination between government and media to convince the world otherwise? Maybe engineering knowledge at a PhD level isn't really what's needed to figure this one out. <laughs> anyway, as for the Plus Show, we talked a lot about the various angles and camps and alternative researchers on the circuit talking about COVID. And it got a bit spicy there, too, because he's not shy about calling out ideas he thinks are stupid or people he thinks are flat out wrong. Alex said several times that he's not afraid to be wrong, and he really isn't. It's something I admire about him. He's excited by challenging ideas and having his own ideas challenged. And he operates his show from that place. I say he does confrontational interviews, but I don't even think that's the right word for it. He's just got his pride so well in check that he is totally okay with being wrong and assumes some of his guests would have their pride in check similarly. And when they don't, that's when we get some fireworks. Think about my only two shows that have had fireworks, you know? Ten years, and we got one Jan Irving and a Stephen Greer. Notice anything similar about these guys' personalities? Do they have their pride in check? I'm not so sure. And it got really good towards the end there, because when it comes to Alex's background, I appreciate and respect his experiences in the business, tech, venture capital space. And I know he's open to some pretty radical things, but I think he was kind of calling me out for being too trusting or being naive about this perspective that commercial corporate science is not allowing some of these Tesla tech type people to break through. And I think that he thinks that I might not be giving enough attention to the fact that these guys can be deceptive and dishonest too. He's probably right. I think we all make mistakes, but we do what we can, right? I'm actually recording an episode with George Wiseman very soon about Brown's gas that I think is a great illustration of the point I was making to him, that some scientific discoveries and technologies are simply off-limits in the Western capitalist corporate-dominated system. There are some technological and scientific roads you cannot go down. Venture capital be damned. But I still think it's a lot of fun to talk about. And to put a finer point on the plus portion topics, we discussed lessons from being in recovery, Dr. Tom Zinzer and his work with the spiritual entity Jared, plus people who heard that little section will be probably pretty excited to know that Dr. Tom Zinzer is on the books for THC. <laughs> we also talked Ted Bundy and the state of our counterculture Alex's thoughts on the range of voices talking about COVID, as I said, Dr. Mary's monkey and the story of Alton Oshner, and Alex also had some harsh words for Nassim Haramine, and I'll leave it at that. A lot to like. Curious what you guys think of some of the bold things said in the second half, actually. Sign up for Plus if you like what I do, spend your money on things you want to grow, and stop spending them on things that are propping up the evil in our system. I got a lot of great feedback from my post-Andy Wakefield show rant. I wasn't even all that comfortable with it, but it did actually boost signups quite a bit, which is really great to see. Thank you, guys. So I'll spare you the speech. But if you can buy plastic shit made by wage slaves in the third world without passing nearly as much judgment on that process as you should, then maybe THC Plus isn't where you should draw the line on who gets your support. Hey, I don't know. I'm just saying, think about it. <laughs> 
Nothing but love, guys. Let's be the change and all that. Make sure to pick up Alex's book for free this Friday on Amazon. Check out Skeptico. He does an awesome job. And I'll see you next time. I've done my part. Your move, evildoers, people, screwers, and agents of the big bad machine. Your fucking move. They built a little empire out of some crazy garbage called the blood of the exploited working class. But they've overcome their shyness. Now we're calling them your highness. And the world screams, save me THC. They destroyed the bonds of friendship and respect between the only people left who'd even look them in the eye now they laugh and make a fortune off the same ones that they tortured and a world screams save me thc let's look for jesus some will say Garbage called the blood of the explosion.